Well, welcome back. It's the autumn. It's series two of the Christians of Sport podcast. But before we go too much further, let's not forget an incredible summer of sport, wasn't it? I mean, all the gold medals we've won, the massive medal haul in the Olympics and Paralympics, stellar. But, but obviously, let's not forget the most important thing of this summer of sport, Wales in the Euros. <laughs> Come on, you know what counts. So, welcome to Series 2 of the Christians of Sport podcast. My guest today is Adriano Medeiros. I met Adriano at Brands Hatch in Easter 2016, just a few months ago. Brazilian guy, racing in Formula Ford 1600, top-level motorsport. Three things stood out for me on the day. First, he's driving a racing car, which is red with in white along the side, Jesus saves. The team is called Jesus saves. It's on his helmet too. Second, in the light of that, it was scary. Uh, you know, I'm not a petrol head. I don't watch motorsports. Hey, there's nothing wrong with it. I just don't do it myself. And it was terrifying. I'm sitting right by the corner, the main corner after the straight, and it's terrifying the speed at which they're going around and getting so close to each other. Outrageous. And then finally, in the pits, this is what I've worked out about this guy. Everybody thinks he's different class as a man, and yet that's without him being soft because he's one of the top competitors. So that's the funny mixture. Really decent guy, really top driver, and Jesus saves. This is the Christians in Sport podcast with Graham Daniels. Adriano Medeiros, I want to take you back to school in Lagos, just early 90s, Correct. and you're a kid who doesn't go to school because he's trying to go down the racing track to see what's going on. How did all this start for you? Well, my father already liked motorsport, and I always watch as a, a little kid my father going to the track, and I'm crying because he couldn't take me. I was too young. Then when I was going to school by bus, the bus just passed by Interlagos racing track. And I normally, I remember very well that if I arrived late at school, they would close the gates and not let me go in. That was a rule to make you be on time. So what I used to do is I get the bus a little bit late, look at the clock, I'm not gonna make it, jump out of the, the bus at Interlagos and go into the track to watch the cars. <laughs> Uh, this, uh, this is a young boy, so you can see the passion in the man who becomes the driver. When you're at school, uh, you, you must have made a decision at some point that you were going to get into racing because you had to make a first step from school. Y you went to be a mechanic? Yes. Uh, you have to start very early. I never had the money. This is something that my father always told me. This is not a sport for you because since very little, I asked my father to help me to get into it. But my father always told, this is something that you're not going to do because you don't have the money. So later in life, then, when I could make my own decisions, I then went to a racing school. Because in Brazil, you cannot start driving a car in a racing track unless you go to a racing school and get your race license. That's a pathway that we see throughout this interview, that you've had to fight every inch of the way. No privileges whatsoever. Paying for that racing school was very, very costly to you, and you had to make ways of paying it, right? Correct. I only had 50% of the budget to pay for the racing school. I went and I signed up, even so with that money, which actually I had to borrow from my girlfriend at the time. 
So what happened is I have to start working as a mechanic at the racing school to be able to pay for the rest, for the remaining 50% to pay for my racing school. So you're in your later teens here at this stage, having to do this. Yeah, a little bit later than that. I was mm. on my 20s already. Into your 20s. Yeah. So you're a number of years behind young people who had the privilege of racing from very young, and you're on catch-up mode. Now, this decision that you have to make uh, to find a way of getting into the highest level of racing you can when you're working as a mechanic hinges to some extent on meeting an ex-Formula One driver from the 70s called Alex Ribeiro. How did this happen? Well, after done few races and struggling to do my races because I didn't have money, I was my mechanic, I was doing everything, I had to sell everything to buy my racing car, I didn't even have a car to go to the racing track. My friends told me with a rope and I'm sitting on my racing car and my friends me pulling to the racing track. After all that struggle, I thought to myself, I need to go to abroad and then because that is motorsports more professional, I need to meet someone that can help me to go all the way through. And then someone advised me to go and meet Alex Diaz Ribeiro at the Interlagos track because he used to do meetings in the evenings there at Interlagos. You knew he'd been a Formula One driver. Did you know about his very, very public speaking of his Christian faith? In fairness, I didn't know much about it at the time. When I went to meet him, all I knew was he was a, a former F1 driver. When you went to meet him, uh, this is remarkable. It, you know, there are some really, really top draw people. And Emerson Fittipaldi was a world star in Formula One in the 70s. So when you show up to meet Alex Ribeiro, you find him in conversation with a superstar. What on earth were they doing? It was, it was something unreal for me because... I born in 72, my father argued for hours to put my name as Emerson Fittipaldi, and which my mom won, as you may imagine. Then I walk into the pit lane because those meetings was done at the pit lane. There was a racing car in the middle and there was Emerson one side and Alex on the other. And then I, as I walk in, I literally took two steps back because it was overwhelming for me to see those two guys in front of me, which Alex said, Come on, don't be silly. Come and talk to us. And then introduce me to Emerson and introduce himself to me. At what point in this process did you start to think about the fact that these two men were Christians and happened to be world-class racing drivers? What kind of impact did that begin to have on you? Well, I knew there was a meeting going on there. I went and I follow up the whole procedure of that meeting. I just greeted them. Then suddenly everybody sat around in a circle, got their Bible out, and I looking around Bible, what's going on here? And then these guys start talking about Jesus and God. And I, I was very against church at the time. Church for me at the time was a, a marketplace for money. You know, I was very against it. And then I just started asking myself, why on earth I'm doing this? What am I doing here? You know, You've come I'm... there to be a professional <laughs> racing yes. driver. You've ended up in a Bible study. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> All the best. <laughs> but you stayed, you stayed it out. You stayed the meeting. Yes, I stayed because I want to talk to them about my, my willing to go racing. And I stayed to the end, listen everything they said. And during the conversation, I actually challenged them on some of the questions. I had beside me a guy who was a racing driver with the same difficulty. And I said to Emerson Alex, I said, well, we all here talking about God, about being good, about being nice and all that kind of thing. Well, this chap here is a good driver struggling to go racing. Why don't you guys do anything about it? What did they say? Then I remember really well Emerson just turning to Alex and said, 
I'm going to pass that the answer to you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Good sportsman. Yeah. That's the kind of person who listens to this podcast. Pass that back as quick as you can. Yeah. I, 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 rem I don't remember well the answer that Alex gave at the time, but I remember that I, I just calmed down a little bit and then I just heard him with all respect because that was the most important thing about that meeting and about what I'm passionate about doing today. The fact that I heard two former F1 drivers talking about God, that opened my ears. Then I actually listened to them and gave credibility to what they were saying. Alex must have given you some advice as you got to know him and got to think about your Christian faith and being a professional racing driver. Uh, you might well have been that man sitting next to you because you were there for advice for what to do next. How did he steer you professionally? At the time, I asked Alex, I'm here because I want to be a professional racing driver. Would you help me to go abroad and become a professional racing driver? The answer Alex gave me at the time was, I cannot help you to be a racing driver, but I can help you to meet Jesus Christ. And, uh, how did you feel about that answer? Because you went there to be a racing driver. At the time, I, in a certain way, I feel a little bit anger. You know, of mm. course, you, you, you feel the disappointment, the frustration, because you went to find something and then you got something else. But again, because the respect I have for those guys, I actually listened to him. And I actually, at that point, it was a point where I said, okay, I'll come back next, next week, which I did. Did your Christian faith emerge over a short period? Was it longer in this stage of your life? Well, I carry on going to the meetings, as I said to you. Never saw Alex, never saw Emerson there anymore. There was another group of people that were there at the time. But I've, I've been studying the Bible with them because Alex told me, I'll, I'll help you to meet Jesus Christ. I think that stays in me. And I start saying to myself, okay, let's know what it is all about this. And then hearing that, I remember it was a matter of months. In one of the meetings, I then accepted Jesus in my, my heart. But it was a couple of months as far as I remember. In 2002, so a little bit after this, yeah, you leave Brazil. Correct. Was there a steer from any of these racing drivers or was that a decision you're making on your own to try and go to America? You can't get a visa, so you end up in England. How did you make that jump? I became Christian with those guys and I remember really well after I accepted Jesus in my heart, I remember that my prayers were were very strong and one day I was just crying on my bed, sitting on my bed, talking to God and I, I just said to God, what should I do? Because since since the first time I met Alex, I knew that if I want to be in motorsport, I need to go abroad. Then I cried to God and I said, should I go abroad or not? Which I lift my, my head up and I, I lift my head up in diagonal for some reason, look to the right and I had a poster and the poster said, believe in your dreams. And I said, right, I put that poster there. That doesn't mean anything. So I carry on doing my stuff. And I went to clean up, organize my table at the time, which was a mess. And I grabbed a little box of a perfume that I had bought very recently. When I went to take that box away to throw away, a paper fall off. And I didn't know those perfumes, when you buy them, there was a message inside them. And the message comes up, go and follow your dreams. And at that time, I said, okay, God is talking to me here. And the answer is clear. I'm going to go abroad and after my dreams. So you tried to go to America. Yes. Twice refused by visa. Correct. And so you end up in the lovely England <laughs> having to make ends meet by working in a garage and McDonald's. Yes. So you follow your dreams. Good. And your dreams lead you to McDonald's and a garage. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> 
that must be some experience in the it, early 2000s. It was. It was a very difficult thing. I arrived here with 1,700 pounds in my pocket and a bag full of clothes. I have to. I went to live to a second-degree cousin. I don't know if you guys in England have that kind yeah, of situation. Second cousin, yeah, yeah, second cousin. Yeah, second cousin. And in the very first week, he said to me, you just need to go and live with someone else. You cannot stay here. Uh, which I'm, I'm pleased he did that, which I went to live with eight Chinese people in a house because he said to me, don't live with anyone that speaks Portuguese because I couldn't speak English at the time. Yeah, okay. I need to learn. So you learn Chinese. Well, <laughs> I had to speak English with them and that's the only language we had in common, but we try our best. But then because I couldn't speak English, a fr uh, someone helped me to get McDonald's, uh, a job at McDonald's. At the time when I arrived here, my girlfriend, which today is my wife, was in England already. So then I got the job at McDonald's and that was good because I couldn't speak English. All I could hear is the manager asking six quarter pounder <laughs> and I just did six quarter pound and that's how I started my work at McDonald's. <laughs> in this period, um, before you go to work, uh, well, you think you're going to work for Palmer Sport as, as a mechanic, um, it's Anna who says to you, you must trust God, Adriano, and not give up. So you're the one who becomes a Christian first. She then meets Christ. But in this whole process of really trying to go to the next stage, she's the one who's encouraging you. Is pretty remarkable woman. Correct. She she is incredible. She, um, as the Bible says, she's she's a blessing. In my life. I went because after those six months period of time, Anna went back to Brazil in December, and I stayed in England. But we kept in touch. And we kept talking to each other. And we almost say like we were in a relationship looking after each other. We decide we need to stay together and we decide we need to just do the things right according to the teachings of the Bible. So I went to see her. I went to visit her in Brazil to stay with her so we could establish our relationship. At the time, I was working in a garage in London at Creekwood Lane. And I said to my boss at the time, and I said, can I go to Brazil to visit my family and I'll come back? He said, yeah, no problem at all. You go. You're still, you're still not working for me for a year, but you can have a, a holiday. That's fine. I flew to Brazil to stay with Anna. We stayed together and everything else. When I was flying back to England, I called my boss and I said, okay, so I'm just calling you to let you know Monday I'll be there. I'm just check with you if everything is okay. And then, which he replies, if you want to come to England, it's your problem, man. You can come, but you don't have a job anymore. I will replace you already. At that stage, I knew that I only had a thousand pounds in the bank and I knew that would last a month. And I said to Anna, why am I gonna bother to go back to, to England? I'm not gonna make it, I'm not gonna do it. That she replied, well, you always teach me about Jesus Christ. You always teach me about faith. And you always told me the story on how you decide to go. Where is your faith in God? Believe in God, jump on the plane and go. So I did come back again. <laughs> Palmer Sport give you a job. You think you're going as a mechanic, but you end up as a as an instructor of drivers. Now, help me. I drive a people carrier. So, so help me understand what that job is. You're paid to do it. It's a job. You've got your first step inside, and soon you start getting money to really race. How does that work? Okay. As soon as I arrived at Bedford Autodrome, I had this experience as mechanic. As I said to you, I work as mechanic in the racing school back in, in Brazil. So... I called this Brazilian guy and this guy said to me, go to Palmer Sports, that's where everybody starts. All my mechanics came via Palmer Sports. And I said, okay, no worries. So do you know who I speak with at Palmer Sports? He said, no, I don't know what it is. I don't know anybody there. 
Google, go on the internet and find Palmer Sport and then you find it. Which I did, I found the address, I wrote to them and they invited me to come in an interview. When I arrived in the interview, as you said, I was there to work as mechanic. But the manager of the place showing me the place and I see a few guys sitting on the passenger seat with the crash helmets and I ask what these guys are doing. And he said, they are the instructors. There is a great amount of racing drivers who has to go and instruct other people in order to make money to be able to pay their bills. Because in reality, there is a very, very small amount of racing drivers who get paid to drive. And that percentage is very, very little. The majority of, I'm guessing numbers here, okay? But I believe that probably 99% of the racing license holders pay to drive. I'm going to go to 206 you really start to race in England. You really get the chance. And there's a whole window here from 206 really through to 213, when in 213 you become the champion. You win the championship in Formula Ford, which is a big deal. What are the highlights of this period when you're actually in a car, really racing at a really good level in this country? What are, what are the moments that you think of today as the great moments in this period? As a racer, I will never forget my first win at Brands Hatch GP, which is an amazing track. Used to hold F1 races up to 1986, if, if I'm not wrong. I always remember I was racing a Porsche 996 there. And a lot of drivers like me, to be able to race, they teach gentleman drivers and race alongside them in endurance races. Gentleman drivers? Correct. What's that? We're talking about professional and successful people that are not young anymore, but they are successful enough to be able to go and decide to go racing. So then they hire instructors to teach them how to race. And most of the time we race alongside them in the endurance races. And my very first win was in a Porsche 996 with a guy called Chris Bentley. He's two races. In fact, I race with him in January in the 24 hours of Dubai. And that race was incredible because the reason why they hire professional drivers is that professional driver not only teach them how to race, but bring the car in a good place during the race so they can jump in the car and race well and finish the race as high as possible. It's a teamwork, it's a two drivers work. On that race, I remember really well, I opened up a gap of one minute between me and the second place, which gave my teammate, Chris Bentley, enough to win the race by two seconds at the end. And that was a, an incre incredible achievement for me. This is one of the highlights. Another thing that I remember really well is my, my race in the NASCAR, the European NASCAR in 2012, where I had a win on my very first week in racing there. I just arrived there. And I exchanged publicity in Brazil uh, with the organizers so I could race. So I said to them, I give you publicity in Brazil, you give me a drive. So they put me in a car. I did 10 laps on Friday. I did a race on Saturday, which I did the fastest lap and finished six. And then on Sunday, I did another race, which I won. Now at, so. this po at this point, they're thinking, we've just traded with this guy a bit of PR in Brazil. And he turns out to be top draw. I mean, he's the man we need. So is that the moment, is that, is that the key moment in 2012 in the NASCAR? This has been 10 whole years to get to here yes. in the UK. <clears throat> 10 years of your life. Mm -hmm. That's right. What From a scrap that is. <laughs> Not, isn't it though, Adriana? Yeah, it is difficult. It is very difficult. It, it is a, a hard working and I have to say, I'm still working as hard as I can and it's a non-stop. This year is the year that I've been the busiest in terms of racing. 
So I did it the 24 hours of Dubai, as I just mentioned to you. I've been racing the full season, the classic Formula Ford, which are, we are leading the championship with the Jesus Says racing car. It's remarkable. Let's see how we're going to finish. We've got a few more races to go. Marvelous thing about your meeting with Alex Ribeiro is that from 76 through to 80 in Formula One, there was a car with Jesus saves on the side and on the man's helmet at the very pinnacle of sport. And in 2013, that is reborn. The Jesus saves team is reborn with you at the helm in Formula Ford with your team. What strikes me about this is that in such a dangerous world, such a competitive world, such an aggressive world, how do you compete fairly and firmly without being soft when you have that badge on your car? That's a really good question. And that question is going through my mind every time I'm following up, uh, every time I'm, I'm door to door to another competitor. I have situations where I have to give you space because the rule says you have to give a length of a car for your competitor. And I knew if I did that, I would lose the place. I'm talking about Mallory Park in 2013. And I, I have enough space there. And the guy overtook me, I ended up finishing fourth. And I was really disappointed. And finishing that racing fourth, carrying the message of Jesus saves, I knew how disappointed I were. And I knew being Brazilian, I'm very passionate about things. And I show my frustration very easily. I just jump out the car and I walk away as, good as, as, as far as I could. And I hide away for a few minutes. Then I came back again. I still show some of my frustration, but this is something that I learned a lot living in Europe. I have to police myself in terms of my passion and how to show my frustration. But when you are door to door with your competitor, you have to remember who you're representing there because I'm not doing this for myself. I'm doing this for the honor and the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. So I'm representing Jesus Christ. It's very difficult for me because I always have that in mind. Recently, I touched another competitor. It wasn't on purpose. It wasn't, I didn't do because I wanted to. Of course, when you're driving a racing car around the corner as fast as you can, you have to work with the physics. You have to work with the G-force and the gravity and everything else. The more I tried to avoid it, I couldn't. And I ended up touching him. And that is a competitor that is really good driver. We've been wheel to wheel every race. And recently, I have to race really hard with him, not to be too soft. Now that, that's the interesting bit, because I, I can hear, if you, if you like, the, easy, the easiest part of being a good athlete, a top athlete, is learning to manage yourself, your emotions, finding a way to go off camera to come back with dignity. It's not easy, but it's the easiest part. The hardest part is that it's you or him. There's rules to the game, but there's also etiquette. There's the rules, but there's the way the pros do it. When you're wheel to wheel with him, he will bump you. He'll go less in the car space. Everybody goes less in the car space. You've got to go less in the car space or you are soft. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. You're right. And I, I confess, I race really hard to him. and But I race as hard as I could, knowing that that wouldn't bring any harm to anyone. Because I'm a professional. I know where I can put the car. And I know where I can show myself as hard as I can without harm anyone. The recent race we've done, he realized that. He complained about that. But I guarantee I was as fair as I could. But um, the problem with motorsport is the ego of the drivers are too high. <laughs> they will never accept. 
I remember really well Ayrton Senna saying, I'm not here to, to participate, I'm here to win. But having said all of that, I know exactly where I can put my car in a fair way, as hard as I can to the edge where I will show respect, but be fair at the same time. I said early on, Adriano, that one of the impressive things, or one of the things that really got my attention when I came to Brands Hatch at Easter was the sheer warmth in the pit from other teams to the Jesus Saves team, to you and your team. And sometimes you see that warmth because somebody's a really decent guy, but he's just average. <laughs> but this is a case where, where you, you've been champion, you're right at the top of the tree, you're fighting that for the championship again, and they've got a lot of respect for you. And yet, somebody looking on might think, man, that guy's crazy. He's got this huge advertising board on the side of his car for Jesus Saves. What's your relationship like inside the business, given that you're a slightly religious maniac? It is a very interesting relationship because my message is quite clear. Who I am is quite clear to all my friends and colleagues at work, as well as the people in the paddock. I always strike great conversations. I can always explain to people what do I do and why I do it? I had conversations with a team that I was racing, that I'm racing this year, and I was able to explain my faith. And one of the guys in the team said, I'm really glad you said that because that's the first time I can actually see Christianity in a way that actually makes sense to me. And I was really pleased with that. And sometimes I believe the, the Holy Spirit just gives me wings, not to be honest with you, to talk to those people. There are some funny situations as well if I may say, he had a quite incredible situation where I, I was teaching a guy in a car called Atom. You probably know Ariel Atom is a very fast car. We had an almighty spin at probably 100 miles per hour. Went off the track miles. And this guy turns to me and he looked at me and he says, I'm really sorry, Jesus. Which I reply, I hug him. And I said, don't worry, Jesus already forgave you. <laughs> My name is Adriano, by the way. And the, the conversation was really good. <laughs> but it is it is incredible situation. I have a great respect for my colleagues and they all know who I am. And, and the relationship is really good. There are some times where the arguments get a little bit hot because of everything that is going on in the world. And I was able to explain the difference between Christianity and what's going on in the world. The difference between our God has done everything for us. We don't need to sacrifice ourselves for him. He has done the sacrifice, the biggest sacrifice, which I had help from other colleagues in respect of my faith against someone that was talking in a way that I understand my co this guy is a guy that I love so much. He's a, he's a great guy, but he's an atheist. And then we have a great relationship but at the same time, we're very different in some ways. But it's always good. It's always a good way, a good respectful way, a good loving way between me and my friends. And I love everybody that I work with so much. And sometimes they don't get too close to me because the way I am, this crazy Christian guy, but they know the respect I've got for them. And I know the respect they've got for me. Adriano Medeiros, I really liked him, you know. I, I set eyes on him. When we didn't know each other, I've got my son-in-law and my grandson with me, and he just takes real time. He, he can genuinely be bothered on a big race day to just be really civil, and his whole team. Then I saw this guy massively competitive, batting against the odds because the investment in other people uh, he's racing against, and clearly 
one of the top two best in the whole tournament, you, you can see, in the whole championship. And somehow you see all these other competitors taking him really seriously as a threat and yet thinking, what a quality act. You'll have picked that up in this interview. There's no question as you listen to this interview, you've heard that. But you know what the biggest thing that gets me about this? When we do these podcasts at Christians in Sport, we're doing them because we want top-level athletes of all sports, whether they say they have zero faith or whether they've been a keen follower of Jesus Christ for years, we want women and men in, in the world of sport to say, this is a vocation for me. This is where God has put me. This is where he wants me to spend my life and make the most of it because he loves me so much and he's put me in here and I will honor him and enjoy him by doing it. That's why I love this interview. That's why doing these podcasts is such a privilege. Great. Well, we're done for this podcast. It, now, don't forget, we love hearing from you. Keep in touch with us. Anything on your radar, give us your thoughts. We have got loads of resources to help you if you're involved in sport. Just go to christiansinsport.org. Everything you need is there. I'll see you next time. Meanwhile, have a great one.